All right. Every Sunday, I look forward to teaching. This Sunday, I do not look forward to it. Um, this is going to stretch my level of vulnerability, maybe past to the point that even I feel comfortable with, and I feel pretty comfortable um, being vulnerable. But um, I think it's something that's necessary. It's something that's critical. And um, I think it's something I, I wrote down. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes this week because I was like, really, God, are you sure you want me to teach on this? And um, I wrote down, I don't know what God wants to do, but I do know I'm being asked to do this. And so for me, it's an act of obedience. And um, may, maybe an act of obedience with a frown on my face instead of a smile, but that's OK. Um, but my hope is, is that. Um, in my willingness to be vulnerable, that we can be vulnerable with one another. And um, while there are some really, well, the whole passage is beautiful, um, it is a difficult passage. And difficult passages are difficult to preach on. Um, and so uh, my hope is, is that we can be um, gentle with one another this morning and gentle with the stories that each of us are journeying through. So I'm actually going to pray, at least for myself, and pray for us. And then I will get started. Um, God, I thank you that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. And I thank you that you are present and in our midst, um, that you don't forsake us, that you don't leave us, that you are here with us, um, and that you love us so deeply and passionately. I pray, God, that this morning uh, you would soften our hearts to your word, um, that it would plant seeds of truth and seeds of hope, um, but that we would also see you more and more clearly. Um, your character, your intentionality, uh, the freedom that we can have in you. Um, I, I pray that we wouldn't just learn some new stuff. I pray that we would um, be captivated by you. I pray that um, everything that we do from this point forward um, would be centered and focused on you. And show us what that looks like as we worship you together by looking at your word. Let me pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Joe taught on attachment love. And part of the reason why he taught on attachment love is because I um, had asked him to, to teach um, on something that I felt was pretty important for us as a community. Um, as I was looking at my life, and I was looking at various uh, lives within House of God, I just realized a lot of people are going through some stuff. And um, we come in here, and we love each other a lot. And so we smile, and we hug, and we say, I love you, and peace be with you. But internally, a lot of times we're like, man, I didn't even really want to wake up today. <laughs> just kind of wanted to lay in bed, right? Um, and so... That's, that doesn't mean that we're being fake with one another. I think it's just sometimes we're so raw, it's like if, if we're any more raw, we're just going to kind of spill out. Um, but my, my, my hope was is that Pastor Joe um, would do something. It was actually it was something I had been processing, and then I had a conversation with David and Janet about some of the things that uh, they were processing, and just recognizing that House of God has gone through some losses as we've also grown and um, to acknowledge that and to recognize that. And so Pastor Joe, um, he did the attachment love, which was kind of the segue. It's like the gentle 
segue into it. Um, and then he kind of couched, I, I say it like it's the invitation and challenge sandwich. Like he did a lot of invitation, which is he's inviting you into God's love. And he's saying this is all the beautiful things. And then right smack dab in the middle of it, he puts the meat, which is attachment pain. And I don't know if you noticed, for those of you that were able to be here last Sunday, he, he kind of, he didn't skirt over it, but he talked briefly about it, and then he was right back into love. Um, and I get to talk all about attachment pain this morning. Um, and, and he did that uh, for a very specific purpose. Um, he did that for me. Um, I'm going to read you some of the things that he just put in his notes so that way you can understand a little bit about attachment pain because it's a phrase that you may not have heard before in your life um, prior to Pastor Joe. Um, When he was talking about um, unique attachments, he was saying level one of our brain is the attachment center. The place in our brain is like a parking garage. It assigns spaces to those that share our hearts. Once someone gets their name painted in a spot, no one can ever take their spot. When they stop parking there, our brain experiences attachment pain, which drives us to seek relief. We experience this deep attachment pain when we feel alone, don't feel like we belong, or when someone we love is missing. This pain is so deep that we can't consciously control it. We can only recognize it indirectly when we learn to notice its symptoms. Unfortunately, there is no true relief no one can ever fill this spot. You don't even have to worry about that. Just leave those tissues right there. I will definitely cry this morning. <laughs> yeah. You all can have tissues. I'm, I'm good. Um, so attachment pain um, is this pain that we experience when, uh, when someone in our life isn't there anymore. It's, um, it can't, and it's not just people, right? It can also be situations or experiences, or it can be really, I mean, I know Pastor Joe wrote it in the sense of people, and then there's that parking spot. I always picture uh, the church pews where you have your assigned seats. <laughs> and how disoriented do you feel when you're looking and you're like, wait, they, they're not sitting there anymore. Is, are they okay? Or maybe you're happy they're not sitting there. I don't know. Um, but this uh, attachment pain is, is so much deeper than that. Um, and it's wrought out of expectation. It's wrought out of what you thought would happen, what would take place. And um, I wanted to talk, and I really hesitated. Um, I really hesitated to talk about me because I really feel like this space is a space to proclaim God, to, to proclaim Christ. But I also realized, as I was talking to my pastor, um, that part of the way that I understand God is through the way that he reaches me. And so if I'm talking about me, my hope is that you won't just hear about Sean, you'll be hearing about God. So I've heard enough of the, uh, the side conversations over the past few months for people to want to know how I'm doing. Um, and I don't feel like you've been talking behind my back or or anything like that. I think it's out of um, genuine concern. For those of you that are visiting for the first time or don't know my story, um, I've been going through an unexpected divorce. And it has been a very long journey. Um, And while I would say that uh, I put the emphasis on unexpected, 
Um, I preached a couple weeks ago about expecting the unexpected. Um, I didn't expect that my journey would go this way, but uh, here I am. Um, and so that has obviously, when Pastor Joe talks about attachment pain, that's something that I know uh, very well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm living that, right? And so um, when I read Psalms like Psalm 42, um, those moments have felt very personal to me. Um, I read something this week. It was talking about the Psalms, and it was talking about how the, the core, the majority of, of the book of Psalms in general is, is lament. Um, but how much of our, I'll even say religious experience, how much of our spiritual experience do we actually genuinely lean into lament or grief or sorrow? Generally, what do we try and do? Avoid, <laughs> push it down, put it under the rug. You know, we even have savings, right? Savings like, put it under the rug. Like, let's just sweep it under there. Nobody will know. notice that giant mound that they just walked on, right? Um, and I don't think that the church is meant to be that. I don't think that we're meant to be a people in a community that sweeps things under the rug. I don't think that we're meant to be a community that's when we're going through things, we pretend like we're not. It's actually the opposite. We're supposed to be the safest place. We're supposed to be the, the, the community when all else is failing around us, is that we can look to one another and say, I'm here with you because God is with us. If the church isn't that, then what is it? I mean, really. If the church isn't the place where I can look as a pastor and look to you and find strength because I know God is with us, then what are we? What are we? And, and, and likewise, similarly, as you all are journeying through your lives and your attachment pain and the, the unmet expectations and the various things that you're going through, if you can't look to one another and say, I know that I have someone with me, then what are we? And so I read, uh, so I read in, the, in the, the Psalms about the Psalms of darkness. It says, uh, this is from a theologian, Walter Bruggeman, and he says, the use uh, of these psalms of darkness may be judged by the world to be acts of unfaithfulness and failure. But for the trusting community, their use is an act of bold faith, albeit a transformed faith. You see, when I used to read these psalms, a lot of times I would be like, why is this even in the Bible? Like, it's okay to ask God these kind of questions? And like, why is lamentation, Lamentations in there? Because Lamentations is all about somebody crying out to God, basically, who are you and who do you think you are? And I'm like, oh, okay, let me find a happier psalm, <laughs> right, that I could feel. Maybe, well, let's see if Psalm 47 is one of those. <laughs> yeah, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God without songs of joy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I'm always, I'm skirting over the Psalm 42s to get to the 47s. But like Walter Bruggeman said, these Psalms of darkness actually reveal the, this God of character, this God who approaches us in our most lonely places. Um, I wrote down that we can't be a community of worship only in the feast of joy, comfort, and ease. We have to be a community 
that will be willing to sit with people in the feast of sorrows, grief, and loneliness. Again, I say to you, what are we if we aren't that? So as I look to this Psalm 42, um, you know, as a deer panteth for a mile for the water, right? You know that. You've heard that. <laughs> and that we keep on going. But here is a psalm that says that, I mean, it really is this psalm of tension. It's a psalm of questions. It's a psalm of depression and darkness. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you've wondered where God is? I say, okay, good. I'm in good company then. Where are you, God? I mean, that's the expression is that we would behold his face. I'll tell you, um, in the midst of my attachment pain, there was a moment, um, and I've told a few of you this, but if you want to understand the level of grief that I've experienced, I mean, I, this isn't the first time I've experienced attachment pain. I've, I've mentioned before that uh, I, I was a, almost lost, Amanda. She almost died, and that was a result of a miscarriage. So I've experienced loss. The people that are in my family that I'm closest to, I've lost them. Um, so I've experienced loss, but I've probably never experienced the loss and grief that I experienced. And I remember one night in the middle of the night, have you ever wanted to go, like, it's funny, um, Judah hates to go in the dark. And that night, when I was looking for the face of the God, I was looking for the darkest place possible. Because I felt like that was the only place that would embody the grief that I was going through. And have you ever read in scripture when it talks about um, when people are in grief, when they've lost someone in their mourning, they rip their clothes? When I tell you that my involuntary reaction was to rip my clothes, you may think that I'm weird. <laughs> but I ripped my clothes. But do you want to know in that moment what I experienced as the face of God? Because um, when you rip and render your clothes, you're naked before God. You're the most exposed and vulnerable you could possibly be, and it's in the midst of your deepest and darkest place. I mean, that's when I look at it. I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that specifically says that's the reason why people would tear their clothes. But if you think about it, it is the most vulnerable thing to be naked before God, isn't it? To say that if, if I don't have you, what do I have? And then God meets us in that vulnerability. As I prayed, God, I, I literally felt Jesus not just look me in the eye and as Revelation says, wipe my tears away. I felt like God put his arm around me like a friend, which is in some ways more intimate than just an embrace. It's, I'm sitting with you. Have you ever had a friend in the midst of your grief that's put their arm around you and just sat with you? Is there a better place to be than that place? And so the psalmist is writing, and he's saying, when shall I come and behold the face of God? Maybe you've experienced the following. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? Have you ever had a meal of tears? And then 
you're going about your life and it's that feast of comfort and ease and joy as you're walking, and you're like, yeah, life is good. People don't even see your God because they just see how happy you are. But when life starts to fall apart in, in this specific context, uh, the scholars that wrote on this said that these were Gentiles. Like Israel is meant to be a display nation of God's goodness. But suddenly these people are going through brokenness and they're like, oh, but, but where's your God now? And dare I say, have any of us experienced moments in our attachment pain where we said, yeah, where are you? What are you doing? I, when I read the psalmist, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think that would be a natural question. And so verse 4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a, multiple, a multitude-keeping festival. And here's the tension, because, especially as a pastor, right? Like This is kind of what I do vocationally. I remember the good times. And that's why the attachment pain is so painful. And here's the psalmist saying, I remember when I could see your face. I remember what it was like to worship. Not only do I remember, I was leading people in worship. Come with me so we can glorify God together. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. If this verse isn't a verse about depression, I don't know what is. Because, if, and if you've ever even experienced seasonal depression, when you lay in bed and you remember the good times, why is my, my soul like this? Why is my heart like this? It shouldn't be like this. Can you relate to that? And so then you do self-talk. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Right? Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of bed. And then you find yourself on the floor. Because you can't just, like, conjure this up. And note that the psalmist then says, my soul is cast down within me. It's like we're in our bed to get on the floor in mourning and in loneliness and grief. I'm going to skip to verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. The, I, I've always interested why it's translated this way, but it's waterfalls. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. And this is an, an allusion to other parts of the New Test or the Old Testament. Um, so I've mentioned in the past about a grief or a, about a grace that overwhelms us like a wave. Um, but there's also grief that overwhelms us like a wave and tumble. Tumbles, tumbles, tumbles. And it, but it doesn't stay there. It says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. 
And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. See, the, these psalms of darkness, um, I, I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment. In your prayer life, are you okay with questioning God's character? Are you okay with being real with God? Why? Right? Why? What I love about this is here he's asking these why questions, but he doesn't, it's not because he lacks faith. Verse 8, he knows by the day, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. These why questions don't demonstrate a lack of faith. They magnify faith. Because here is someone that says, in my lowest place, the only one I can run to is you. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Um, That's like people in situations kicking them while they're, they're down. This morning, I'll I'll tell you my kicking me while I was down moment, because I was already super anxious about this one, was I didn't bring diapers. And of course, that would be the morning that Titus would have to poop. And the way that I found that out was by sticking my finger in it. (laughs) And then I had to go home. And then I was just forgetting things left and right and left and right. And you're like, that feeling of, man, okay, it can only go up from here, right? Yeah. Don't worry, I washed my hands before I shook all of your (laughs) hands. But that's what I hear here. I mean, again, in this context, this is Israel and enemies are Gentiles that surround them, and they literally were surrounded with enemies that were taunting them. I mean, just as I I know this is a modern-day example, if, if you look at Israel, you know a little bit about it. I mean, everybody has to go become a soldier because they're surrounded Now, that's a modern-day example, but I just would say in a literal Old Testament example, they were surrounded by adversaries, an adversary that were saying, your God's not your God. Because if if he was that God and he was that good, you wouldn't be dealing with that. And I think our Christian faith also teaches us that too. Like, because we love Jesus, I don't even need to have any... Anything. I'm not, I don't have to worry. I'm good. Life is grand. There shouldn't be any surprises. Can you imagine as a pastor or as a missionary or as a youth worker? I'm like, yeah. Smooth sailing. And then suddenly, shipwrecked. I was thinking about Paul. He's just in a ship. And then suddenly, a storm comes, shipwrecked. And then he gets bit by a viper, (laughs) right? And this is after he's been in jail for like a really long time. Shipwrecked, just by living an obedient life. And that's what I see here is the waves and the billows have gone over the psalmist, and he's shipwrecked. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? 
hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Um, that's how the psalm ends. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? What if, what if we looked at that question not as doubts, but what if we looked at that question like a serious engagement with our interior? Why? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my soul? What's going on in my mind? What's going on in my life? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For I shall again praise him. It doesn't say, I am praising him right now. I will again at some point. Because he is my help and he is my God. Um, all of you who confess uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord have been given a gift. And that gift is called the paraclete. And that paraclete we know as the Holy Spirit. Paraclete is another word for helper. Our help and our attachment pain. So I had a question I'm not going to make you talk about. <laughs> Have you been or had a time of Psalm 42 in your life? What if I told you you'll probably have some more? And so if this is something that we've experienced, are experiencing, and will inevitably experience, my next question is the following. Who is God in our deepest sorrows, doubts, losses, grief? Who is God? This is a question that I want you to spend some time talking about. I won't make you, I mean, if you want to be vulnerable, I encourage that. But I'm not going to make you talk about all the Psalm 42s in your life. But I recognize there are people in this room that have gone through some really difficult stuff, are going through some really difficult stuff, and are a day away from difficult stuff. So let's spend a moment just talking amongst yourselves. Who is God in our deepest sorrows, doubts, losses, and grief? And go ahead and take a moment, if for anything, so I can take a breather. <laughs>
weeping openly with those in mourning, even though he knew of the resurrection hope ahead. Jesus already knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. I mean, he specifically said that. But he still chose to openly grieve and weep alongside of people. If that doesn't say it's something about the character of God, I don't know what does. Like, he allowed himself to be so immersed into the grief and the pain and the sorrow and the frustration and the questions that his very soul was moved to the point of tears. This is the same God that entered into the suffering on the cross, you know, like you said. He reorients grief and suffering. And I love how, just think about it, here is Lazarus, Lazarus is dead. And people are in mourning and grieving and in suffering. And that could be the last word, right? Like that could be it. Just that Lazarus is dead. But then we know that he calls out after Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And as I've done before, he's bouncing out alive, right? The resurrection of Lazarus had the last word. And more importantly, I mean, yeah, people are looking at Lazarus, but who else are they looking at? Jesus. And suddenly, their grief and their mourning and their sorrow turns to awe. It doesn't negate the loss, but it reorients the loss into Christ. We see a clearer picture of who Jesus is in our loss. And I would say that's true for me right now when you wonder how I'm doing. Um, I mean, I still cry and stuff, but is that really a surprise? I cry a lot. Um, yeah, I cry commercials. That's right, I do. Um, and I would say that I'm in a, I'm a pretty good place. Um, there is an aspect of all of our losses, all of our attachment pain, and that word is helplessness just helpless. And that would be where I'm, it's like that gift that you don't really want. Yeah, it's like the underwear at Christmas, right? (laughs) It's like, I I don't want it, but I need it. (laughs) The helplessness is my weakness. And in my weakness, I see the strength of God. And I don't just see the safety net that he has for me. I see the safety net that he has for other people. And so I don't want to skirt over the grief and loss. Uh, Amanda, for example, was a, a part of this community, and that's a loss. And I mourn that just like you do. Um, I mourn the fact that my kids are only here every other week with you. Um, I mourn the fact that uh, your Amanda is not here. Um, there is a, a lot of mourning. I mourn Taylor not being here, but I have hope. God is good, even if our situations don't feel very good. Um, I was reading uh, this pretty early on, um, a verse in Isaiah. And I think I've read it before. It's hard keeping up. 
but it's Isaiah, it's from Isaiah 42. And it's smack dab in the middle of uh, Israel's idolatry that God presents hope. It's like smack dab in their deepest sorrow, doubt, loss, and grief. I, I have, uh, you can put it up, Tom, for me. It's two clicks. Uh, I'm going to read, um, I'll read it from here. And it says, this is God speaking. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. One more. I will turn the darkness before them into light, which I love that you said light. Uh, the, uh, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. There was a time in my relationship with God where I questioned how open I could be with him as if he didn't know my heart already, as if there was something that I would say or do that he would forsake me. When I tell you that God is the safest place, I mean it, because he gives us promises like that. He will lead us in our darkest places, into light. Those rough places that we're currently experiencing, he will level out and he will not forsake us in them. Um, with that verse was also a prayer that I read. And I'll, I'll, you can close your eyes if you feel like this is a prayer that you need to pray in your heart or you can follow along with me. I'm not going to make you say it out loud or anything like that, but it's um, from Dale and Juanita Ryan. They were there. Dale was a professor of mine at Fuller, um, and he dealt with recovery within the church, um, people that have gone through very difficult, grief-filled situations. And this was a prayer that was attached to this devotional that this verse, this passage was in. Uh, and I'll read it to you. Go ahead. I, and I, I love the honesty of this prayer. It says, I can't see very well, Lord. I certainly am not familiar with this path, Lord. Go ahead, you can keep clicking. Are you sure you know where this leads? This feels like a pretty rough trail to me, Lord. Keep going. Are you sure we can make it? Be my guide, Lord, I am afraid. I would be lost without you. I cannot find my way alone. Guide me, Lord. Turn darkness into light. Make the rough places smooth. Do not forsake me. Amen. Um, this gift that he's given us is just chock full of tension. <laughs> Where in our lowest places, there's something there. And in our highest places, there's something there. Um, but at the center, center of it is Jesus. A Jesus who weeps and suffers openly, even though he knows resur resurrection hope is on the way. And like Mark said, uh, I don't know um, what, when the safety net is for all of us in our situations. But they come. Uh, you all are a living testimony of that because as you have surrounded me in my brokenness, you've reminded me it will be okay, even if it's not okay. 
And as I've surrounded many of you and said, it will be okay, even if it's not okay. Is that God is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean, ultimately? He's with us. He's with us. And that's, go ahead, Justin. What do you say? Yep. Have you ever thought of him as Easter Bunny and traces his Easter egg in our lives? <laughs> and there are those that have the money and that the paychecks that you give to feed your family, and then there are those that have the sweet little candy germ that they say when you have a kid or when you meet a new friend, and then there are those that have from the mouths of babes. I'm going to repeat that to you. Yeah, I know some of you couldn't hear it. Um, you correct me if I'm wrong, because some people didn't hear in the back, so I'm going to say it again, OK? So, so what Justin, what the bomb that he dropped on us this morning <laughs> is that, um, have you ever thought about Jesus being like the Easter Bunny? Um, and that he puts these little eggs in our lives. And some of those eggs have money, which are provision for our family. Some of the eggs have the bittersweet chocolate with the raisins that you don't really like, but you got to eat them. What was the other one that you said? And the candy in them that's sweet and delicious in your life. Yes, to everything you said. And then there's ones that you find that, you're, that are empty. <laughs> it's a, yeah. See, thank you, Justin. Um, by the way, this is what happens when you're vulnerable. Um, and what you may or may not know is Justin is well acquainted with suffering. Right? So next time, I'm just going to ask you to <laughs> teach up here, OK? Um, he will not forsake us. He's with us. He loves us. He cares for us. He teaches us. Let me, um, let me pray for us. Um, when I do, um, I know that uh, Mike, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, is there anybody else uh, that we can pray for as I pray? Um, if you could just raise your hand so that people around you could just put their hands on you if you feel comfortable with that, um, because I'm going to pray for them as well. David, okay. If you all could just, if you feel comfortable with that. But is there anybody else that would like prayer this morning that's just going through? Nancy, Ling. For those of you that see those hands raised, if you could just put a hand on their shoulder just like Jesus embraces us. Is there anybody else other than Nancy I saw? Okay, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Uh, God, um, you are so sweet to us. I thank you that you're a God that, um, that we can look to as one who understands our sorrow and our grief, our Psalm 42 moments, um, that that is somehow worship to you is our honest confession of the things that we're going through. That you see that as a song that is, is part of worshiping you in your fullness and grace. And as I have looked around this room and I look to the people that have raised their hands 
and they're going through situations that I look to myself and my kids, uh, to Amanda. Um, as we journey through this life, uh, I know that you want it for, for us to know that you will not forsake us. Um, God, we don't know what the answers will look like, but we thank you so much that you make us brave to be vulnerable. And that bravery is so backwards because it's weakness. It's weakness to say, we need you, God, and we need the people around us. So I pray, Lord, the house of God would surround these people as you have surrounded them with love and intentionality, with friendship, with embraces, with food, whatever that they may need. As Justin so wisely said, um, you give us these Easter eggs, these gifts. And I pray that we could be a part of reciprocating that giving to other people. Um, for the hurting hearts this morning, I pray for your timely healing. I pray that, um, that we'll know that you're at work. Even if we can't see your face right now, we pray that um, you would help us to look towards you, to have our minds and our hearts, our ears, everything directed towards you. And God, I thank you um, that you are a God that weeps and that you are a God that grieves um, and that you're not too quick to try and make a joke. You're not too quick to try and make us feel better. Instead, you sit with us. And so we praise you for that. And thank you for how intentional you are in showing us your character and our weakness. We love you. Let me pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.